0: Help me, help me,
1: the pure exhilaration of the playoff semi-final, there was quickly a realisation that Orient hadn't achieved anything quite yet, but honestly, the way the season had gone, it felt like this was all just meant to be, and was set up for a fairy tale ending at Wembley. One team stood in our way, a talented but not unbeatable Rotherham side managed by the pantomime villain of the lower leagues, Steve Evans. Fans queued around the corner at Brisbane row for tickets, whilst players helped in the club shop, setting everything from flags to foam fingers. More than 24,000 O's fans walked down Wembley Way on the 25th of May 2014, full of excitement for this grand finale. The sun beat down on us as the teams emerged, and by the time it had set we would know our fate. In this episode, we take you on a journey through that rollercoaster of a game that would prove to be so crucial for the future of Leighton Orient Football Club. From the people who were there, this is From Brunton Park to Wembley Way, the story of the 2013-14 season. Part 4 East London Group.
2: Intro and it filled, uh, you know didn't really think too much about who who we we, we played because it's, it's a fire it's at Wembley just anything can happen and you, you just have to you know remember just focusing uh, on on yourself, on myself just like oh come on let's let's make it a beautiful day you know trying to be a really positive and uh you know trying to, to to look at the bigger picture i think it's uh Thinking it's a massive, massive, um, you know, chance to play it, and uh, let's make everything we can, just not to have uh, to have regrets and uh, and uh, yeah, to enjoy it, uh, to to be really positive rather than, you know, thinking like too much tactics or making yourself a bit too anxious. About, oh, I should do this. I should do that now. You know, when you arrive in a, at a final, it's because you deserve it. So you uh, just have to keep doing what you've been doing, and when you've been doing it for. Forty-six and then forty-eight games. You don't have to think about it. It's it became natural, so I don't think you have to to think too much about tactics or anything. Just about that, yeah. Make sure you're in a good good mood coming to the game, and I think we were, yeah, we were very confident and uh, you know all buzzing from each other.
3: Johnny
4: Davis, uh, media and communications manager. On the day of the game, I remember. I just wanted to, I've got the tube to the game, but uh, I knew that there was going to be a lot of Orient fans at Liverpool Street. Um, and obviously, it's sort of, the, as much as sometimes it's great working at a club um, that you love, especially, you know, you get a lot of privileges and, you know, a real a lot of perks, but sometimes you do just miss that opportunity to, to see things, you know, through the eyes of a fan and, and, do this sort of you know have a beer before a game and that sort of thing so I knew I couldn't have a drink before the game but I did make a point of getting off the tube at Liverpool Street and just doing a couple of laps of the station just to see I thought not often I'm going to see Liverpool Street draped in Orient flags um, full of Orient fans I remember that from before the game and then I got back on the tube and went off to Wembley
5: Ada Martin kit man was roasting hot that day I remember speaking to Simon Grayson on the side of the pitch. He was a Preston manager at the time. Um, he wished us luck. Everyone wanted Orient to win. No one seemed to like Steve Evans for some reason. I can't put my finger on why, But he was there and I remember him looking at me saying, you've got to win a day, you've got to win a day. He said other things as well but I couldn't mention there. My name's Matt Porter. I was
6: Chief Executive of Lake Norent between 2006 and 2014. Uh, I got there very early uh, with my wife. We had, um, I think we had 100 or 120 seats in the Royal Box. So we'd worked out the seating plan, um, myself and Lindsay, um, you know, Russ's family or Barry's guests, um, you know, former players, the people, supporters, club committee members, directors, you know, sponsors, you know, we had people who needed looking after on the day. And I got there early to try and soak it up, you know, um, Walking around, I, did, I think I did a lap at the stadium pitch side when our fans were inside, which was really emotional. Um, went around, didn't, re- didn't really go into the dressing room too much because that's not it's not your job as a director, you know, that's 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 the players' area and you leave them to that. Um, but there was a small room off that and I went in there and saw Russ, saw
5: Nuge, Kevin Dearden. It wasn't really nervous, the dressing room. Everyone was getting changed as usual. There wasn't a problem. We had the new shirts for the day, that wasn't a problem because we only had the players' sizes, you worry about... Little things like that, are they too big, or they too small? Um, they got changed and just went out, warmed up, which was quite nice. You look around the stadium and see 30,000 already fans. I see my mum and dad, they were in the Royal Box that day. The club gave me two tickets, which I give to my mum and dad for the Royal Box. I saw them, saw loads of people, I unit And it made you really proud. But I said before the game that I'd enjoy it, whatever the result. I wasn't going to let the result get me down because um, I want to be out of my to work at Wembley again, you know, with the team. So I want
7: you to enjoy it. I'm Machi Budry, I'm Santa Blankin. I was that ladies from 2012 to 2016. The only stuff I really remember it just really marked me is that we used to have this song that all season, that was a song before to come to the game. So just before to get onto the pitch that we had this song from like Amici. So we had this whole season it's kind of like bonding with song. And then we had it, just we put it like in the changing before the game and I could like just that. Like, looked at uh, everyone around me. And it was just uh, it was just like going like with your friends like and playing and, and just uh, I felt like a lot that like, I I felt like really emotional like I like, would be all all life came together and like, from this experience. And I think it's just yeah, I had a lot of like emotion just uh, and like, still now like when we if you if we hear the song like sometimes we just like, send it to each other and like, stuff. It's just uh. Like, he
8: s he song and every time I would hear this song I would just think about this group of players got really close Scott Cuthbert, Defender. I remember being really nervous going you know, on the bus on the way in. And um, I played at Wembley before for Swindon and I don't know if it's because I was a bit younger maybe a bit naive to all, but nerves just weren't an issue. I just never I never crossed my mind. Um I mean she did no, his first song that uh, what was it? That when you say like wake me up he
7: ready so
1: Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, good song, yeah. is it? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure about your you singing. Know,
8: I knew how big the game was. I knew how, I knew how much, how many tickets we'd sold, and, and uh, obviously how much it meant to the the manager and well, obviously the players, but the manager and everyone involved.
6: You can see people who are there just for the occasion, and they're coming up being really really over the top nice and excited and stuff and your stomach's doing somersaults and you just kind of think look just leave me alone you know it's it's not about you this is about you know everything we've worked towards so um it it was a very very tense day
1: all the preparation was done all the talk had finished russell slade uncharacteristically suited red and white tie, led out the same team that orient had fielded for the majority of the season they stood Lined up for the national anthem as the fans nervously fidgeted with excitement and nerves in equal measure. The stadium was a sea of red and white.
0: Dean
9: Cox, left midfield. To so obviously get to Wembley was, uh, you know, a boyhood dream. It was something I never wished that uh, wish, uh thought would happen, and I just, you know, to this day, I, uh, you know, it's the proudest moment, and, and probably will be in, in my whole career.
3: Kevin Dearden, goalkeeper, coach, and chief scout, Leyton Orient. We never really changed much because, you know, we played four four two. That was our strength, and we we didn't really need to change change much. We didn't really we knew what Rotherham were all about. You know what you're getting from a Steve Evans team. You're getting a direct team that doesn't stop, will never give up, will always keep going till the last minute. Um, we'll make it difficult for you. So, you know, we knew what we were getting. Um, But we just really concentrated on us. It was about making sure we were ready, making sure we were relaxed enough to go and play and making sure that, um, you know, we performed on the day. No, we were positive. We were positive. Um,
9: The game plans to start fast, um, get in their faces, keep it tight at the back, don't give anything away. And if we can nick anything on the break,
1: then do. Rotherham kicked off in all-grey, orienting their traditional red and white. Both teams looked nervous and were obviously well matched as the opening half an hour was a cagey one. With 34 minutes on the clock, Kevin Lisby used all of those years of experience and won a free kick on the left. Cox delivered a high ball that was cleared but only to the edge of the box. It was only a half chance really, but within a split second, Oda Bejo had chested the ball down and smashed it on the volley with his left foot. It grazed the bar and flew into the net. Adam Collin in the Rotherham goal didn't see the ball until it was past him, looking back between the ball and the player in confusion as Moses ran away, shirt pulled off in bridal joy. Orin had taken the lead, but things were about to get a whole lot better. Just five minutes later, Odebejo had the ball in space down the right and fizzed it across the goal. It's a ball you see every week that's so inviting but takes everyone by surprise and usually skids off for a throw-in, but not today. Dean Cox had timed his run perfectly and encapsulating the telepathy that the team seemed to have that year, arrived at the far post, completely unmarked, to tap home. As he whirled away, an almost pain look of pure joy strained on his face. Every Orient fan in the ground grabbed whoever was closest to them and jumped up and down. Half-time, 2-0 up. It all seemed too good to be true, and despite this being Orient who always managed to find a way to mess things up, the reality was that we were just forty-five minutes from the championship.
0: I'm Dave Victor, and uh, thanks to Johnny Davis, I'm also known as Dulcit Dave via my Twitter handle. It was so exciting at halftime. You just thought, "Gosh, we are so, so close." I mean, you
9: know, obviously Mo's goal was fantastic. Then, obviously, I score just before halftime, and you're thinking,
2: "Well, I just remember, uh, yeah, the uh, first half, where we yeah, we were on top of them." Uh, then we, we score them two goals and you have them big uh, big rush of adrenaline uh, and then you arrive at halftime you try to calm down just to think that come on we're not there yet but just just carry on doing what we do and we're nearly there um, you try to calm yourself to and try to think about about the game as it was uh, as if it was a uh, Zero zero. I tried to make sure that, you know, we, we all take a good break at half-time.
8: So yeah, there was certainly quite a lot of nerves and but then we started the game and, and we went 2-0 up and it was weird. It was all like a kind of whirlwind to be honest. We went into half-time 2-0 up thinking, what's just happened here? But I don't think Rotherham really showed up for the first half and it was just all a kind of well. I just remember it all being a kind of bit of a daze until half-time.
9: I remember walking off at half-time and, uh, Mo was next to me and uh, he said come on Coxy 45 minutes championship and you're thinking car we're nearly there you know you're thinking 45 minutes keep it tight we were creating chances if we got the next goal the game was over you know you got in the dressing room russell drilled us again and uh and then obviously we come out for the second half
6: the worst part of it to be brutally honest was being 2-0 up at half time and you know, because people are jumping around and thinking we've won and you think like don't do this just don't do this
4: I remember actually everyone coming up to me at half time going oh you've, you know, you've done it you've done it and I remember just thinking oh no you don't you don't know Orient if you think that we've done it and I was very very cautious and made a point of not having any sort of conversations um, like that
5: so first half went went really well, didn't it? Look at the scoreboard, you're 2 up at half-time. We um, got into the dressing room. Russ calmed the players down as usual. And you knew you knew what the team talk was going to be. It's a simple team talk for a manager. And it's a usual one, excellent first half. Um, but the next goal, it's the same thing, the next goal is the most important goal. And you knew if Rotherham got a goal back early, they'd have, they'd have their tails up. And we weren't ones for panicking, but we know after the game Nathan Clark had an ankle injury, which I think he got in the first half, which no one really knew about. But everyone was playing as they could. Coxie weren't great at <laughs> half time. He, um, he came off just after the second half start, which was a big miss. I think Moons and these came off as
7: well, if I remember rightly. You, you can't, you can't uh, stop thinking that uh, uh, you're really close, uh, 2 0 half time. Obviously, you know there's still work to be done, but in
1: a great position They say 2-0 was a dangerous lead and as the second half kicked off everyone knew that the next goal was going to be crucial If Orient got it it was game over A Rotherham goal changed all of the momentum and within five minutes something strange happened Rotherham got four or five free kicks all just outside the Orient box within a couple of minutes of each other
3: There's a, there's a feeling that will never leave us as a staff that the referee was, was affected in that game by Steve Evans at halftime um, because him and his assistant Paul Rayner absolutely berated him all the way down the tunnel, all the way into the dressing room, outside of the dressing room, so much so that Rayner was sent to the stands for the second half. And they got into the referee's head that that he was he was all for Orient and he wasn't giving them anything and they didn't get anything and if you certainly look in, in the first 15-20 minutes of that of that second half they get a hell of a lot of free kicks and a hell of a lot of stuff so I, I, I definitely think you know the half time fair play to Steve Evans and and, and, and Paul Rayner because it worked for them but that that for me was a big turning point at a half time I think the referee was definitely affected by, by Evans and Rayner at half-time. Look, he's renowned for it. He's still doing it now, Steve Evans. And, you know, it, it works for him because referees seem to seem to be scared of him or, 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 let him, or, or seem to let him get away with murder. You know, but, um, but as I say, it definitely had a big effect on the game. There's no doubt in my mind.
1: Another Rotherham pre-kick 30 yards from goal proved crucial. As the ball floated in, there's a split second where Orient goalkeeper Jamie Jones is stuck on his line, and then he comes out, led by his right fist in front of him. But that split second was crucial, and he's just late to the ball by a couple of inches. The ball rolls across the goal and lands right in front of Alex Ravel, ex-Orient and now Rotherham striker. The goal's gaping and Orient's captain Nathan Clark stretches every inch of his 6ft2 frame, but again, by a matter of inches he can't get there, and Ravel connects. The ball rolls over the line, as if we were watching slow motion replay. 2-1. Um,
0: what
3: we'd said is that um, obviously they were directing, They put balls into the box. Um, they made it difficult for you to defend set plays. So we'd worked on, you know, through the week, working on defending set plays, defending balls into the box, and we asked Jamie to be positive in coming for stuff but making right decisions. Um, and I think Jamie comes for the cross and I don't quite think it's the right decision for him to come. He should have stayed, stayed at home and, you know, unfortunately, they score from that. I remember we never dealt
8: with the cross, right? And it's kind of failed it is. And we tapped in the first, if I'm not mistaken.
3: I've not, I've not watched the
8: game back. i never watched the game back. I think James you know, should have just come out and called that, really
9: and uh, he could have just sat on it for a little bit and then booed it up the field but you know, it'd been fantastic that season and uh, it's just a shame that couldn't, couldn't, couldn't uh, sort of pick up that cross obviously it just dropped and uh, they finished it off
1: Just five minutes after the equaliser Ben Pringle fires a long hopeful ball upfield that's won in the air by Orient defender Nathan Clark As the ball comes down Alex Revell runs onto it controlling it with his knee 30 yards, maybe even further from goal it comes down slightly awkwardly, but Ravel's right boot swings at it, and connects.
10: To be honest with you, I just, I just, for some reason, it just bounced and I thought, I know, I, I just, some people say you sometimes hit a golf ball and you just know for well that it's going to be a
1: great shot. And for some, you know, I just hit it in. I was sat directly in line with Ravel. I've never seen a goal like it before or since. It looped high into the air as Jamie Jones, obviously caught unawares, stumbled backwards as it flew powerfully towards him.
10: I don't remember looking, to be honest with you, but since obviously looking back, I do look, Um, because it happens, everything so happens that quick, so it's more instinctive because I just thought, at the end of the day, what's the worst that can happen? I'm going to get an oor if it goes wide. Like, you know, it doesn't matter. And at the time, I just thought, right, hit it.
1: As soon as Ravel hit it, he knew it was in. Jones throws up a left hand, but it flies over him and bounces a yard over the line. And into the roof of the what net. Everyone around me was silent.
10: Saw him obviously at the time off his line, and just just hoped that it dipped, and you know, obviously, it, and it did. So um, I kind of knew it was in straight away um, as soon as I saw it in the air. So. Um, at the time, like I said, you know, uh, it was it was just
9: instinctive, really. Ravel, it's an absolute worldie. I don't think he'll ever score a goal like it again in his
5: career. You know Revs, for a fact, would be playing out of his skin because he wasn't a bad player for us. He knew something that would happen. And then um, he hit that hit that shot and I was banging line with it. And as soon as it left his boot, I looked at Robbie Simpson. I went goal. And it went in and then everyone was deflated. It was... I can't describe, that was probably the lowest point of the game when he
3: scored there. The second one, some people disagree with me, some people won't, but I don't apportion any blame to Jamie for the second one. Um, You know, the ball's 45 yards from goal, he's on the penalty spot, he's where he should be when that ball is there, and Ravel just hits that once in a career volley and it goes in. So, you know, I don't hold him responsible for that one. Whenever, like, any goalkeeper gets beaten by distance, you know, the first thing they try and blame him. But I don't apportion. I think you have to applaud Alex Revell's skill and quality. It's just one of their
10: moments. It was almost like the one I scored at home. You know, it just, it, for some reason, there was a, you know, whatever the width of the football, that was the gap that was there. And for me, it just, it managed to go there. And it went in the bottom corner. And it, it was the same at Wembley. It's just, that's all I had to aim at, really. And and, it, and obviously, you know, what happened, happened. But I mean, to be honest with you, if I was, you know, Jones, yeah, I, I don't think that he expected me to shoot, to be honest with you. So I don't, I don't think you can blame any blame for Jonesy, to be honest. I think any keeper would say that was, that's where they'd be, um, because they wouldn't expect a shot.
2: Hell of uh, a volley from, uh, from whether, um, you know, he can do it another. 200 times, 300 times, I don't know. Uh, same situation. How many times he will uh, he will manage to score it? Uh, I'm not saying he's a bad player. I really like him as a as a guy and as a player. But I mean, anyone in that position uh, would struggle to 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 repeat that. But you know, he did it on the on the right there. It was a special special goal. When
0: I didn't think he had in him.
2: I, I remember, you know, even at 2-2, we were still like. You know, keeping the ball, trying to find solution, being patient. I think we were mature with uh, with the ball, uh, even going through uh, extra time. I think we really had the more possession, and we were using the ball well. Just we couldn't find that little spark. Uh, Maybe we were starting to be tired as well. You know, in the final pass, the final, you know, the 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 final shot, uh, the final situation, we didn't put ourselves there. Um, But we. So we were mature, and I thought it was just a question of time for us to to, to score that uh, that third goal uh, because we we were I think we were in a better you know better form uh, I think we were fitter because we we looked fresher than them but you no know, it didn't happen like that.
0: The second half
2: hurt. It, it really did hurt. I've been thinking so many times about it. You no, know, we didn't do anything wrong. We were not sleeping or just thinking. We were already there. It's not bad at all. It's
7: been hard to take because it, I don't think we crumbled. Like, it's not like we didn't play at all in the like, second half. I think the, the goal
1: that like, they scored we never scored again. The goal that like, they should have After getting it back to 2 2, Rotherham should have been in the ascendancy and Orient fans feared the worst. But credit to the team. Like every other game that season, they battled and fought and actually had the better of the closing half an hour. Despite some half chances, neither team could win the game in 90 minutes and we headed for extra time. Hearts were firmly in mouths.
9: And then into extra time, then I thought even in extra time, I thought their legs had gone and we were, you know, in the sense that we just needed to get that goal and then obviously 2-2 and penalties, it's a lottery, isn't it?
5: But it got to extra time and they looked they looked knackered offering. We, we were struggling, but we were quite a fit side. Lee, the fitness coach, really got them at it. Kind On of the pitch, give him a few jelly babies and a few chocolate cakes, and then, that one looked like scoring a part, didn't he? Just before so before extra time, I'm sure um, Bat put ball across the goal, which baldry just missed. I think if we'd have scored that, that was it; it was game over. They weren't
1: coming back. One of the biggest games in the club's history was going all the way. Penalty kicks. Nathan Clark won the toss and chose for them to be taken in front of the Orient end. And Rotherham up first.
11: My name is Chris Dragno, I'm a forward. Every tell my fans out about taking uh, well, the penalties, when I uh, Kevin Newton come up to me, I think he had the first four sorted. He said, um, Do you have one? one?" I said, Well, you know, I'll take one whenever you want me to. And he went, You've the next one, and the next one was the fifth penalty. I said, Yeah, fine, if you want. I've, I've got no problem with that. So, but I found out oh, yeah, about five minutes before the actual penalty started that I was taking
5: one. He got to pins. I was on the pitch with Nuge. We weren't great at remembering the players' numbers. You've got to tell the ref who's taking the penalties in what order. Um, and John Lundstrom took one, didn't he? Who scored first. He'd done really well for us that season. John Lundstrom. Um, and then you've got Baldry and Clarkey. Um, Chris Dagnall. And you're thinking we're not we're probably not the strongest we could have been now for pens. after losing Moons and Lisby. You know they would have taken two pens. But it's just how the game went. But um, I don't I didn't even watch I watched um John Lundstrom's penalty that he scored first. Jonesy saved their first penalty I think and I didn't see the rest. And I still haven't. Couldn't watch penalty.
3: It's a feeling of uselessness, you can't do nothing, you're just sitting there, your life in their hands, hoping that you come out the right side of it.
1: Rotham scored their first penalty, straight down the middle. Lloyd James smashed in Orients first. Top corner. And then Frecklington. One of Rotherham's star players this season hits a powerful shot to Jonesy's left, but the Orient keeper had guessed right, diving early and low and palming the ball out. Mayhem behind the goal. After the heartbreak of being pegged back, we were in the lead again. Lundström, a young lone player, scored the best penalty of the game. Top corner. 2-1. We've
3: practised penalties um, all week, uh, or the 10 days or whatever it was, between we practice them nearly every day. Obviously, you've got the issue of who's going to be on the pitch and who's not going to be on the pitch at, at, at the end of extra time, that gives you an issue. There was a couple of our bars that would have taken penalties that I think Murney was off the pitch and I think Lisby was off the pitch who would have taken penalties. Um, so, it may be felt to a couple that, that wouldn't have taken, um, but also, We'd done all our research on their penalties, you know, we had a fair idea where they were going. Um, If I'm not mistaken, I think Jamie only goes the wrong way
1: once. Rotherham scored their third, and Captain Clark, who we would later find out had a knee injury that he'd picked up earlier in the game, didn't let that bother him, and slotted home. Rotherham scored their fourth, and up-stepped French centre-back Matt Baldry. Scoring we were one miss, or one conversion away from the Championship, Miss and things are all square with one to go. Obviously
7: you're a bit nervous The walk to get there like seems quite long. But uh, you're not thinking that it's a bit different, you're still a bit of a bubble, you're, still, you're tired from the hundred like, twenty minutes. It's like something you can't reproduce in training, I don't think, but you just do yeah, it's a weird feeling, you're being a bit of bubble, you're you'll be nervous but not as like, people think that. The problem I had is, um, I can say not, like, during the ten days when we took like, the race, I was taking penalties the same side like, every day. So every day I was taking ten same sides, ten same sides, ten sides. The goalkeeper's knew, so I was trying to score with the G. But then the, I was fourth, and the three first time, like their goalkeeper just went proper early and he went the side where I wanted to take. So I had this guy in my mind like I had to change side, and I was like you can't change now, so. I had to stick with it and he played a bit in my mind and happened what happened?
1: Once again, the keeper went to his left and the ball hit him, rolling out as Baldry held his head in his hands. Rotherham converted and now all of a sudden, from being in the lead, it was down to mid-season signing Chris Dagnall to keep us in the game. A miss and it was all over.
0: Yeah, I
11: was always fighting myself, 100%, you know, I still remember it. Ugh. You used to remember the keeper diving to his left four times in the throttle. I thought, you know, he just. I thought, just stick it the side he hasn't been diving, you know, he, he carries on doing the same.
1: Dagnall walked from the halfway line, dribbling the ball to the spot and placing it down as the and keeper Adam Collins to two yards of his line, hands on hips, staring at the Orient striker. He moves back as Dagnall, vein bulging in the side of his head, nervously looks towards the referee's whistle.
11: You're making so many decisions in in your head where you're going to put it, what you should do, and you know even when I'm watching penalties, the penalties, emotions open in because we scored the first two and they've missed one. I'm thinking because in my penalty I just need to score and we win, you know. And then but it felt like within an instant it was the opposite way around. If we miss, you lose. So I emotions mean, were all over the place. So I must have off and I thought, right, the keeper's side, this side, four times, I'm going to put it away. I watched through, um,
6: you know, through my fingers. Um, yeah, it was difficult.
1: Dagnall takes a short run-up, and Colin guesses Dagnall right. Unfortunately for me, he's changed
11: his mind and got the way
1: it. As the ball bounces away, and the Rotherham players rush towards their keeper, bundling him to the floor, just 10 yards behind them. Stood in the same place he struck that fateful penalty, Dagnall stares at the floor. Shirt covering his nose and mouth. Some orient fans just turned and left. Some kicked the chair in front. But I just stared. It was probably only 10 seconds, but it felt like hours. I wasn't watching anything on the pitch. I was just staring at nothing in disbelief. When
4: the the final penalty um, happened, it was I stood by the dugout. And I think I was next to Ada the kit man and it just it was like stood still for I don't know 5 or 10 seconds and it was really surreal and then you sort of snap out of it and you think, oh God, I've got a job to do here
11: it is a bit of a blur but you know whilst it's hard because I'm at thinking about that too because we lost the chance to go up and you can literally nothing to do about it now the season's over and you see all of them running up just there's nothing for me to do um
6: I just sort of sat there, really, and then I just went back inside. will i break it up. <laughs> you know, it was just horrific. You, you cannot imagine it. It was more than losing a football match. It was losing five years' worth of work, you know?
9: I think it's the worst worst way to lose a football match. It must be... We've got to create a different way of finishing playoff finals and any finals. It's just the most cruelest way to lose your whole season, depending on a spot kick, is... Well, it's sickening. Just to talk about it now, it's it's just uh, you know he worked all season for that moment to go up and it just wasn't idea.
3: It's something that that I haven't agreed with. I know it sounds might sound sour grapes now, but it's something that I haven't agreed with ever since the um, the playoff finals have been introduced because I think for for the whole season. To be decided by one poor bloke taking a penalty is—it's it, too much. And I know Matty Bordry well and Chris Dagnall well, and and they'll carry it—they'll carry it with them for a long time, because it was such a massive season, such a big season, and such an enjoyable season where where you know a lot of people made a lot of lifelong friendships, and you know for it to go down to one kick is. It's heartbreaking.
5: The players at that time knew that I'd be devastating more than others because I was the only Orient fan in there. I've so been coming over here since 1979 as a kid. And they, they just apologised to me. I said, I have apologised to me, You've had the season of your lives. It's, it's difficult. You can't, you can't say to someone unlucky, we've done all right. You don't say anything to them.
8: We're leading anyway in the penalties now, I we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And then it was just heartbreaking watching their goalkeeper save the last two.
1: Players and the staff picked themselves off the floor and clapped the fans as Rotherham went up the famous Wembley stairs to collect their trophy. Dean Cox, a hero all season long, cried his eyes out. Vansolo hit the ground, over and over. Happy by Pharrell Williams rang in my ears as I turned to leave, not wanting to put myself through any more pain.
6: I went I just went back. I went back in as soon as the Rotherham players started climbing the steps, I just went back inside and I went in the toilets and just cried. And then um You kind of sort of think, I knew as well that obviously the takeover of the club was going through. And you sort of think, right, this is it now. It's all come to an end. And um, yeah, I think I just went home. (laughs) No, I didn't. I went down to see Russ and we sat there and we had a beer. And we didn't say a word, really. There was nothing to say. I remember he he, he just said, this is going to be hard to get over. And then that that was almost it.
3: 2-0 up and, and comfortably comfortably winning the game and uh, to lose on penalties was a real sick yeah certainly Orient was, was, probably my, was probably my worst experience
8: as a, as a footballer getting to Wembley and getting beat there's nothing there's not much worse
0: I was glad that it finished at Wembley uh, I think it would have been Really, really hard, if we hadn't have got to Wembley, I think that was why the victory at Peterborough was so important. You know Wembley was the target um and after that, you couldn't have got closer than than Orient did and um, we were talking about injuries, and you had players um who had given their all. there were players that clearly weren 't a hundred um, percent fit and you know gave their absolute all. Um, that included Dean Cox uh, uh, and, and others. You just saw that their tanks were empty, and you, you know, you, you left and you thought, well, at least we've been at Wembley. This is a day that the club will never forget. It's a, a a day that the club would be proud of. And to be honest, leaving and I left late because there was a lot of kit to um, pack away, and, and you were thinking we'd we'll be all right next season. There was a, a squad to build on. How wrong could I be?
5: I was, I was, de- I was devastated. To be fair because you could have gotten the championship now we could have been there one season two seasons and we could still be there now after five seasons you just don't know you don't
9: know i just someone take, ripping out your heart and stamping on it just I could, yeah i just couldn't control it really quite an emotional bloke anyway we were so geared up for it and we'd worked so hard um yeah it was soul and you know it was uh it was just a terrible, terrible summer and, you know, I remember um, falling into Russ's arms in, walking into the tunnel and just kept saying, sorry, Gaffer, sorry, Gaffer. Just, no, oh, it's just, I mean, even now, you know, goosebumps, it's, you wouldn't wish that on anyone. It's, like I said, a horrible, someone's got to win, obviously. Just a, just a horrible feeling and just remember, yeah, just saying, sorry, Gaffer, let you down. We should have done it. Um, and then all the lads just coming in the dressing room and you could hear a pin drop. No one said, nobody said a word. And uh, I don't think Russ really knew what to say. And he just he just said, get yourself off, lads.
5: Indeed, Dino came in, I was quite, I was close to Dino. And he put his arm around me and said, sorry, son. You know, because he knew. And I must admit that I nearly cried at that point. I was very close. When he said that, I was fine before that. Russ done a speech after the game, and he was, he was quite emotional. That it couldn't give me no more this season. Um, the players couldn't give him any more. You know, we weren't. I don't think not i do not think we are beaten by the better team on the day at Wembley. We just, we just couldn't get that third goal. As he said at half time, you get the third goal, and they're dead, they're dead and buried. But once we lost Coxey, we lost Leeds, and we lost Moons. Um, that was it for us, I think.
8: Yeah, I just remember being that, that distraught really, just devastated at all. It was just so hard to take. I remember, um, I think we were we were meant to go back to the stadium, I think, and get our end-of-season programmes and then get told our holidays, and Russell was that he was that distraught. He was like, nah, just everyone go.
11: So everyone just left. You know, we just left and got away. Heartbreaking. Definitely heartbreaking, because my heart was set when I was quitting promoted, and for that to be snatched away, It was at the very last second. Is it non-popular, happy?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's the worst um, feeling, you know, all that rage uh, inside you, well, as you said, this whole season, all them fantastic people, teammates, staff, fans, everyone, I think, you know, the the place at the time was just like, uh, you know, surrounded by good good people, and uh, it just seemed so unfair, really. You know when something, you know, is so unfair, and you know you you want to, you know, you want to to hit something. You want to to feel better, and you think that maybe hitting something as hard as you can will will get rid of the pain and uh, and the rage. But it's, um, yeah, it's just ah, <laughs> I don't like to think about it because it's uh, a. It would have been such a fantastic story for for, for the club um, and uh personally as well it would uh, yeah be so close and um, you know it's uh, when you know what happened to the club after it's uh, yeah it's such a shame you just feel empty you just feel not dead but
3: you're just empty there's nothing there you you know, and, and all I wanted to do was get onto the pitch and, and console the players, really. That 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 was all because, you know, there was a lot of tears, a lot of heartache, as I say. You know, people have... It, it wasn't a football team. People had forged friendships, you know, that, that are still going now and will go on for a long time. And uh, I just felt for those lads that had been involved. They'd given everything. We couldn't ask for any more of them. Um but we ended out, you know, ended up the wrong side of it. Uh, it. It doesn't really hit you as a coach, I don't think, till till a little bit later, really.
6: Two nils a dangerous lead, isn't it? And that isn't just a cliche; it's a fact. Unfortunately, we weren't able to see it through, and and uh, yeah, it was difficult.
9: Um, and yeah, I just remember for. Just going home and uh, I, well, I just didn't want to talk. I just couldn't. Remember the first week I was supposed to go on holiday. I cancelled that. Couldn't go on holiday. Didn't feel right. Um, just didn't. Yeah, I, like, it's hard to talk about it now, really. Taking, take, I haven't really thought about it. Think, well, for a while. Um, yeah, remember cancelling the holiday, coming home, and, uh, well, I just didn't know what. Yeah got over it in time. I remember Russ giving me a call asking me if he was if I was alright. Um, I was he knew I was supposed to be on on holiday and he, he said you can't go away, Coxie. you can't stay at home and dwell on it. He said we've, we've got to come back next year and and we we'll do it next year. Um, so booked a holiday, went on holiday, come back and uh, yeah, and then just come back for pre season and ready to go again. It was it was the the, the best the best feeling in my career, but then the the best feel, the sorry the best feeling to the worst feeling at the end of it it was it was hard to um, hard to accept it I think you know we'd been at the top for so long um, you know and we 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 should have just just hold it held in there and you know claim that automatic I I, I did feel that going so long automatic to dropping in was we didn't let it become a negative but it was hard not to because you you know we had the jubilation of thinking we're going to be automatic and you know it slowly slipped away a little bit and then we picked up again and and, and finished third you know Um, it's just small margins in football and we were just that little bit off we just wasn't with a harsh reality, we just wasn't good enough just to to stay in that top two, and we just didn't have enough on that day to get us over the line. Um, but it was it was it was an amazing journey. It was it was it was um, you know, no regrets. It was like I said, the best the best season personally. Goals, assists, and just the the things experienced along the way was. Fantastic. That season was just uh, one word magical, one word magical. It was, I don't think I'll. I'll I'd love to but recreate obviously on a personal note the goals and assists, the team spirit um, being at a club where you know the, 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 for some reason I, to this day I'd never know but they just warmed to me straight away as soon as I signed I just thought god you know I, I'm going to be alright here I knew I knew after the first game I was going to be alright Um it was just everything that season, just brilliant. I don't know. It's hard to really put it into a sentence. It was the most exciting um, journey that that I've been on. It was it was just fantastic.
4: I don't think I uh, I could say I enjoyed it the season more. And I was just so lucky, really, you know, so so lucky that I was able to you know see it from the inside and and um, have a have a part of the club I'll uh, be a part of the club and you know, have a role in, in helping it move forward that year so yeah certainly
2: one of the best years I've had I just just gives me a massive uh, massive smile on my face and uh, yeah just a very positive feeling when I think about it I
7: think it was just uh, the great season that where we excited expectations. Uh, playing with brothers—that's how I felt. Like just playing with your mates. It? it was more than that. It was more than just the group. I think Chris. it was uh, the staff as
6: well. A lot of pride. We were the envy of the lower leagues that season. You know, everybody wanted to be like Lake in that season. And, and to be fair, throughout that period, you know, as you mentioned, the season before was about building up to it. You know, um, we were a role model club for other clubs, and we did our fans proud.
7: I think it's. Um...
2: It's a time uh, where I think everybody um, everybody in the team um, was at the top of his, uh, of his game um, and the solidarity in the team made you stay uh, on top of the game because you didn't want to, to disappoint your, your teammates and the manager and um, I think it was also the, the, the manager, played such a vital role in there.
5: Yeah, it's a group like well. I think I've had a group that's come close today. And it's the twenty years I think brand as well as kidney. When
11: I look back it's for the, you know, a lot of regret for me personally. You know, after the, after the mess up Wembley, that's my my main thought when I think of that season.
8: The one thing I'd the one I think i take from it is that, mate, I mate I'd I started becoming really good friends with like, a group of lads that I'm still friends with. Well, that's something I'd, take
6: I'd say it was a perfect storm where where by by a combination of luck and dedication and ability everything fell in, into the right place at the right time.
0: I met a young mascot that uh, came up to the fifth floor to uh, say hello and to see the cameras and the you way know, you do the commentaries and everything. And I was talking to his dad and I said, you know, when did you start watching the Orient? He said, well, he said, um, half time at Wembley, or it were two nil up and he said, um, Dad, Orient are fantastic. I'm going to support the Orient. <laughs> he said to his son, it's not always like this, mate. And um, I think in the years that have followed, he, he understands what his dad meant. So, you know, it was highs and lows, but it, the highs were fantastic. You don't get that uh, every season. And I had that, yeah, once in
2: France when we got promoted. Um, and yeah, in Dayton with the with the fans, the, the, the staff, the players, all that togetherness. That blue with the fans, uh, uh, you don't get that uh, anywhere else. Uh, I didn't anyway. It's, uh, it's a it's it's a very special
9: football club playing It really is. It really is a special football club, and that's 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 the highest highest you know thing I can say. It's, it's a special special football club, which you know I'll, I'll never forget my time. Will never. I'll take that to the grave with me, and I'll be proud. That year will be the proudest that I'll always remember. I'm about to have a baby daughter. And I'll get that DVD out and I'll show her. That's, that's Dad. That's the best season he had
8: as a professional footballer.
1: Little did we know that half time in the playoff final would be as good as it got for years to come. It was the start of our decline and the nightmare we all went through in the following seasons began pretty much straight after the events at Wembley, documented here. But five years on, as I record this, Orient are on the brink of coming out of the other side of those dark years. I hope that this series documents the highs and lows of supporting Orient, and bookends a period in time that we will all never forget. I want to thank Dave Victor, Dean Cox, Romain Vincelot, Kevin Dearden, Matt Porter, Matt Baldry, Scott Cuthbert, Chris Dagnall and Ada Martin for taking the time out to talk to me. You are all Orient legends. A special thanks to Johnny Davis who helped me with contacts and whose articles guided me through my memories. Also a thanks to the club for helping me organise some of the interviews as well. I wanted to also thank my fellow E10 messers, Dave, Matt and original member Ben, who I had the pleasure of experiencing this season with and who I had constant fun with making the pod over the next few hazy, lazy, crazy years. Although they literally left all of the work to me on this, I felt their love and support with me at all times. Thanks also to Sally for her love and support and patience when I disappeared into my headphones most nights to do this. And finally, thanks to you guys, the fans and listeners of the podcast. In all honesty, the years that followed the playoff season were heartbreaking in so many ways, but being able to make ourselves and hopefully you guys laugh week in week out with our awful singing and bad jokes as well as meeting loads of new people via the podcast, made the whole thing a bit more bearable. This might be the end of E10 mess, but it's been a hell of a journey. And one day, we may just come... Back! 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 Bye!
0: Guys!
1: From Brunton Park to Wembley Way, the story of the 2013 14 season was produced, written, and edited by me, Adam Sampson. All original songs are also composed, performed, and recorded by Adam Sampson.